Well, hello again there, kiddos. It's been a few days since I read Riley McDaniels and the Discovery at Flint Creek. Sorry, Flint Springs. So, let's get back into it here. Chapter 12. Uh, let's just go back to chapter 11 a little bit. So, sure enough, they called Aaron and... Aaron went and found the sheriff, and the sheriff wasn't used to flying. He got pretty sick once they hit the ground, but anyways, we'll pick up right there. After a few moments, the sheriff joined us. His face had changed color from green to gray. He carried his big black felt hat and mopped his face with a red bandana. He turned his grumpy glare on me. Well, you got me out here. Let's get started. I still have problems in town. Chapter 12 To no one's surprise, Aaron had worked out a plan. I would drive the sheriff over to Flint Springs in Grampy's truck. I was to stay in the truck while the sheriff arrested the men and put them in handcuffs. If all went well, we would load them into the back and drive them to the jail in Canadian. In case the men tried to make a run for it, Aaron would be circling overhead in the Vega. It wasn't clear exactly what he planned to do in that event, but I was sure he had something in mind. He always did. Aaron glanced down at the sheriff's waist. You're not going to carry a sidearm. No, sir. Never have and don't intend to start now. If I can't arrest three arrowhead hunters without a gun... I'll turn in my badge. Let's go. Aaron shrugged and started toward the plane. Mother followed him. Aaron, would you mind if Coy and I rode with you? We don't want to stay here and miss all the excitement. There might be more than you'd like. The air's pretty rough this morning. Bring it on, she said and stepped up into the plane. Aaron caught my eye and gave me a look of surprise. I was surprised, too. As we drove toward the west pasture, the sheriff rode in stiff, stony silence, glaring at the road with eyes that peered out beneath a hedge of shaggy brows. The silence made me uneasy, so I said, Well, how's your dog? What frog? No, your dog. Your bloodhound. Oh. He stuck a finger into his left ear and twisted it around. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, Colonel's been bad. He started digging out of his kennel at night, going out and killing skunks. He left one on the front porch the other night, and the wife liked to have him a stampede. His eyes tightened on me. Son, what is it about this ranch that draws crooks? This makes the second time I've been out here in two months. I don't know, Sheriff. We just try to mind our own business. There's 800 taxpayers in this county, and only 15 of them live on this side of the river. I can't be running out here every other week. That was the end of the conversation. When we crested the hill that lay between... 
the two pastures, I could see the pot hunter's truck, still parked above Flint Springs, and three men digging beside a mound of dirt. I glanced at the sheriff to see if he was getting nervous. His expression hadn't changed. Overhead, Aaron's plane cleared the top of the mesa and began circling the spring, while I eased the truck down the west slope of the hill. Suddenly, the trespassers sprang into action, dashing around and tossing tools into the back of their truck as though the appearance of a vehicle and an airplane at the same time had alerted them to what was coming. They dived into the cab of the truck and sped across the pasture toward the two-rut trail that led off our ranch and down to the river road. I glanced at the sheriff. They're going to make a run for it. Try and hit them off. Get out in front of them. Okay, hang on. I let the truck coast faster down the hill. The road was still rutted from spring rains and littered with big rocks, and the truck bounced so high I thought we might be thrown out. The sheriff gripped the door with one hand and the bottom of the seat with the other. Son, you better cob this singer. They'll get in front of us. Speed up? Heck yes, speed up, hurry! We went careening down the hill. I was terrified. Driving alone, I never would have come off that hill at such a high rate of speed, but these were unusual circumstances. I gripped the steering wheel with both hands and somehow kept the truck on the road, between a ravine on the left and a dirt bank on the right. We made it to the bottom of the hill. I pressed down on the high-speed foot pedal, slid around a curve and saw a straight empty road up ahead. The crooks hadn't gotten there yet, so we still had a chance of... Suddenly, the truck burst into view in front of me, coming out of the pasture to my right. I slammed on the brake pedal and barely avoided hitting the broadside. Vernon was driving, and I caught a glimpse of his face as he turned hard to the right and slid into the road. His jaws were clenched, and his eyes gave me a menacing glare. The crooks sped, down, sped south down the road. They were ahead of us now. I glanced at the sheriff. What now? Stay on their tail. He studied me with his smoky gray eyes. Son, are you old enough to be driving this thing? And no, sir. Do you want to drive? It's too late for that. Try not to get us killed. Vernon was driving like a wild man, flying over high spots in the road and rattling the axes, axles when the truck came back to earth, leaving a trail of buckets and shovels in the road behind him. I didn't dare swerve to avoid them, Just and I just smashed my way through. The truck was pulling away from us. Two more miles and they would reach the river road. Once they hit the smoother ground, they would be gone. Out of the corner of my eye, I caught sight of a blue shadow swooping down from the sky. It was Aaron's Vega, scraping the tops of the mesquite bushes. As he approached Vernon's truck, something came out of the window. A white object. It landed on the hood, and suddenly the truck disappeared in a white cloud. 
Astonished, I glanced at the sheriff. Was that a bomb? The sheriff arched his shaggy brows in surprise. Two-pound sack of flour. He had ten of them on the plane. I wondered why. Flour? Who but Aaron would have thought of that? Well, it sure worked. Blinded by the flour cloud, Vernon and his truck jumped a ditch onto the left shoulder, tore the front wheel completely off the axle, and scraped to a stop in the middle of a sage-covered sand hill. I drove up to the rear of the truck and stopped. We could hear the men coughing and shouting. Overhead, Aaron gained altitude, banked the Vega, and circled back around for another run. I waited for the sheriff to jump out and make his arrests. Instead, he sat and watched as Aaron dropped the nose of the plane and came in for a second pass. Out came another sack of flour as the Vega roared overhead and no more than fifty feet above us. I could actually feel the vibration of the engine. The sack hit the truck broadside and exploded, engulfing it in another cloud of white powder. I noticed that the sheriff was yielding to an impulse to smile. Well, I'll be jiggered. Kaplan always struck me as kind of a smarty pants. But he does good work, don't he? Never would have thought of it myself. Bombing crooks with flour. He actually chuckled a few times. The Vega banked, circled, and came back for another run. From somewhere in the cloud, we heard a man cry out, No more! Calf rope, we surrender! We quit! Call him off or he'll kill us all! Whoa, come on out! The sheriff yelled, Hands up! I want to see the hair in your armpits! A moment later, the three men stumbled out of the cloud, their hands high in the air. They were covered from head to foot with flour and resembled creatures from another galaxy. Aaron's plane was bearing down on us again, but when he saw the men with their hands in the air, he pulled up and wagged his wings as he passed over us. The sheriff stepped out of the truck. Our rough ride must have bothered his back as he took his first few steps hunched over like a turkey. He grunted and groaned, straightened himself up, and said to the men, Turn around, you codfish, hands behind your backs. You're going to the crossbar hotel. The men did as they were told. The sheriff walked down the line, snapping handcuffs on their wrists. Stump said, What's the charge? We were only hunting arrowheads. Well, that was pretty dumb, wasn't it? You got caught. Now I'll ship you down to Lubbock County. They want to talk to you boys about borrowing cars. Stump hung his head and said no more. With the Vega still circling above us, the sheriff told the men to load up into the back of Grampy's truck. Vernon walked up to me and growled, I should have smacked you before a few more times, sonny. Maybe you should have. Stool pigeon. I returned his glare and said, Thief, looter, vandal. You're lucky I'm wearing cuffs, you little jerk. 
And you're lucky Aaron Kaplan's up in that airplane, you gaping biped, or he'd box your ears off. The sneer on Vernon's mouth went flat. How was Kaplan? From Sparrow? He turned toward his friend. Hey, Stump, that's Kaplan up there. Stump gave his head a shake. I told you we should have stayed out of that. I didn't understand what he meant until later. The men climbed into the back of the truck and we started back to the house. I was looking forward to getting them off the ranch. Aaron had already landed the plane by the time we arrived. He was standing with a hand resting on the left wing, swigging a glass of mother's tea. He looked as calm and fresh as if he'd spent the morning in a sidewalk cafe. When we got out of the truck, he lifted his glass in a salute and said, Well done, Sheriff. Sheriff South straightened up his back and said, And I didn't need a gun, did I? I asked Mother if she enjoyed the plane ride. She said, It was a little scary when we were pruning the mesquite trees, but Aaron's a very good pilot. Where do you suppose he got the idea for flower bombs? <clears throat> Excuse me. He did it during the war. I stared at her. He dropped sacks of flour on the Germans? That's what he said. She glanced at Aaron and spoke loudly enough so that he could hear. I'm no longer shocked by his tales. Most of them have turned out to be true. Aaron dipped his head in appreciation. I had supposed that Aaron or I would have to drive the sheriff and men all the way into Canadian, but Sheriff South's back had taken such a beating, he asked Aaron to fly them back to town. Aaron said he didn't mind, and in fact, he needed to fuel up the Vega. He said the plane would hold six passengers, and there was one open seat left. He wondered if any of us, coy, mother, or I, wanted to go along for the ride. Mother said she'd had enough adventure for one afternoon and volunteered to stay at the house. That left the open seat for me or Coy. We had to settle it with a flip of a coin, and Coy lost. It made him so mad he could hardly speak. Out came his lower lip, and he stomped into the house, muttering that I had cheated him. I was shocked. It had been perfectly honest and fair. Heads I win, tails you lose. Aaron let me ride up front with him, so I got to watch him go through his pre-flight checklist. Once we got airborne and leveled out at 5,000 feet, he even let me take the controls, although he kept his hands on the yoke. Flying an airplane... It was the fulfillment of every boy's dream. Chapter 13 In Canadian, we discharged the passengers, and I told Aaron about the conversation I'd heard between Stump and Vernon. They seem to know you better than you know them. He shook his head. I can't place them. Wait. He walked over to Stump. You were a city policeman in Sparrow, working for Joe McGregor. Stump gave him a mournful look and nodded. 
It was me and Vern that bagged you that night on the street and... Shut up, Stump! Vernon yelled. Stump ignored him. And chained you up in the Oasis Hotel. McGregor made us do it. I'm sorry, Mr. Kaplan. It was a stupid thing to do. Vernon remained unrepentant till the end. Curling his lip at Aaron, he snarled. You'll get yours one of these days. There's still plenty of men around this country who'll bump you off for the price of a soda pop. Aaron laughed. Yes? Well, now, it's not likely to be you. Sheriff South had made the return flight without getting sick and seemed in a fairly jolly mood. He said he would send a mechanic out to the ranch to tow Vernon McElroy's truck back to town, and we could keep any artifacts the men had taken from the site. I said, you won't need them for evidence? Nope. Those fellows will be on their way to Lubbock first thing in the morning. Let the taxpayers in Lubbock County feed them. We fueled up the Vega and landed back at the ranch around four o'clock. We gathered Mother and Coy, loaded up in the truck, and began the grim task of surveying, surveying the damage the crooks had done to the Flint Springs site. Mother rode up front with Aaron, and Coy and I rode in the back. Coy was still sulking. You cheated on the coin flip. Coy, I borrowed the coin from Aaron. It was a regular nickel. How could I have cheated? I don't know, but you did. You couldn't be that lucky. I laid a hand on his shoulder. I know you must be very upset. I understand. He jerked away. Don't touch me, you swindler. He was hilarious when he got mad. But there was nothing funny when we reached the site. The damage was even worse than we had imagined. Vernon and his pals had dug a crater three feet deep and five feet across right in the center of the house. They had cut the heart out of it, leaving a heap of ruins, piles of screened dirt, hundreds of burned rocks and flint chips. They'd, they had even dug out the foundation rocks and tossed them into a heap, obliterating the outline of the house. If they had set out to destroy the site out of sheer mal malice, they couldn't have done a better job. At first, I was enraged at this act of senseless vandalism, but as the minutes stretched into half an hour, my anger changed to gloom. It depressed me to think that there were people in the world who could destroy part of mankind's memory without giving it a thought, without a hint of remorse. It didn't improve my mood when Aaron said, You know, under Texas law, this isn't even illegal. All you can do about this is file on them for trespassing. Mother moved her gaze across the wreckage. Is there anything Dr. Montrose can do with what's left? Aaron shook his head. I don't think so. All the information, the soil profiles, the depth of the, dep of the deposits, the location of the artifacts, the relationship between tools and scraps of bone, the traces of food that may have been left on the floor of the house. He pointed to the piles of screen dirt. Are over there, 
all mixed up. I doubt he'll want to come back. He was so excited that you found a circular house. It would make him sick to see this. Mother nodded and started walking back to the truck. The rest of us followed like mourners in a graveyard. Aaron was walking a few steps in front of me, and I noticed that he paused for a moment and looked down at the face of a large rock that was barely visible in the grass and broomweed. He ran the toe of his foot over it and walked on to the truck. From there, Aaron drove us over to the south end of the pasture, where Vernon's crippled truck had come to rest. We got out and walked over to it. The door on the right side had been bashed in, and there was an, a perfect impression of a bag of flour on the hood. The whole inside of the cab was covered with a layer of white powder. We had come to retrieve the artifacts the men had taken from the site, and we found them in a gunny sack. Aaron poured the contents out on the running board. Ten nice scalar and arrow points, three dart points, seven end scrapers, two flint drills, and twelve shards of thick pottery. Aaron shook his head. They didn't even find anything worth selling. What were they looking for? Mother asked. Oh, complete pots, beads made of turquoise or shell, grave goods, the sort of things you'd find in a Plains Village house. Those crumbs were so ignorant they didn't even know they were digging in the wrong place. A woodland house would be a tremendous interest to an archaeologist, but a worth but worthless as a source of black market treasures. Woodland people weren't prosperous. They didn't have many trinkets. Coy said, But surely there's something Dr. Montrose can use. I doubt it, Coy. Those are nice artifacts, but they don't tell him anything he doesn't already know. We have tools without a context. The information value is zero. I said, I guess we can forget about the excavation. So it appears. Aaron noticed the poker rod in the back of our truck. He picked it up and looked at it. What is this? When I told him, he nodded and said no more. We loaded into the truck and started the three-mile drive back to the house. The sun was setting down on the horizon, and the evening shadows grew long, mirroring the shadows that had fallen over our thoughts. Coy and I rode in silence. He had forgotten that he was mad at me, and I had lost my appetite for teasing him. We were both surprised when, instead of driving up the long hill that lay between the west pasture and the mesa pasture, Aaron turned off onto the trail that led back to the Flint Springs site. When he parked the truck near the screen piles, Coy called out, What are we doing back here? Aaron stepped out and picked up the rod. I want to check something. We followed him to the single rock that, had, that he had noticed earlier. He plunged the rock into the ground and sent it 18 inches down, striking nothing. I was beginning to understand. 
You think there might be another house? Maybe. He pushed the rod into the ground again. Into the ground again. It would be odd for this rock to be here all by itself, don't you think? He continued probing around the rock and found nothing. Then he moved a few inches to the west and pushed down on the handle. This time the rod sank only, only a few inches before it made a clunk that we all heard. Aaron said, Fetch a shovel, Riley, and let's see what this is. I ran for the shovel and dug out the sod, exposing a big caliche boulder. Meanwhile, Aaron kept probing the ground west of the exposed rock, and now he was getting a clunk almost every time he probed. We had to stop working when the darkness when darkness overtook us, but by then we had uncovered an unmistakable arc of rocks, seven of them, that looked very much like the foundation line I had exposed before. We didn't have to beg Aaron to stay the night. He was just as anxious to finish exposing the rocks at Flint Springs as we were. He took his bedroll down to Grampy's room in the barn and Early the next morning, we were back at the site, probing and digging. Around ten o'clock, the four of us stood arms over shoulders, looking down at a circle of twenty-five caliche boulders, a near-perfect copy of the foundation line that had been destroyed. I don't know what, what it is, said Aaron, but those rocks didn't put themselves in a circle. We even managed to locate the no-digging signs. They had been ventilated with bullet holes, and the crooks had tossed them into, the, into a ravine. With most of the bullet holes centered on the D in digging, the signs seemed to say, No auging. But we figured they would get the point across and posted them around the site again. Aaron had to go back to Sparrow to tend to some business, but he promised to clear his calendar so that he could participate in the excavation. If, of course, Dr. Montrose was still interested in coming. And I think he will be. I'll use all my powers of persuasion on him, he said with a wink. We weren't sure exactly what that meant, but we knew Aaron. When he made up his mind to do something, it usually got done. He shook hands with me and Coy. I'll try to locate Frank this afternoon. I'll call just as soon as I have some news. He turned to Mother. Once again, dear lady, thank you for sharing your home and family with an aging bachelor. And once again, aging bachelor, thank you for galloping to our rescue. Your flower bombs were incredible. Will you ever cease to amaze us? I hope not. He bounded into the Vega and closed the door. I drove the truck down the road to check the runway for cows, and Aaron roared up into the summer sky, wagging his wings as he disappeared over the top of Hodge's Mesa. Coy walked down to the barn to play with the cats. I went into the house to do something unusual. I had decided to read some archaeology on my own. 
And that's the end of chapter 13, kiddos. I think I'm going to stop here. I know it's uh, not even quite a half an hour, but it's two chapters. I think that's a good stopping place. Hold on one second here. Okay. I have been coughing for three weeks, and it is a bummer. But I'm going to live. Okay. I love you kiddos very much. I'll be praying for you. And uh, I'm not sure when you're listening to this, but just know I love you very, very, very much. So please talk to God tonight. Say your prayers. Tell Him everything you're thankful for. And tell Him what you need. You have not because you ask not, right? But ask for good things, all right? Don't ask for... Ask for, like... Uh, you know, unselfish things. Well, it's okay to ask for a couple of selfish things now and then, but... Anyways, I think you'll get the picture with a little practice. Okay. Have a good night, kiddos. I love you very much. See ya.